Romans chapter 1 in your Bibles, if you would please, Romans chapter number 1. I'm going to pick up where we left off last week, and as you know, we're doing a Bible study on Wednesday nights. We just go kind of verse by verse. It is almost institute style that we do, and uh, the goal is to try to help you learn your Bible and get your doctrine down. What I don't want is I don't want uh, people in my church that I'm responsible for before God being deceived by all the false doctrine that's out there. Uh, I take it as a very personal and heavy responsibility to make sure that our doctrine is right. And that if you get duped by all the false doctrines that are out there, it's not because I failed to teach you, but it's because you just failed to seek God's face for truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? I tell everybody that when they're talking to me about, well, why do you believe this and why do you believe that? And and I say, okay, I'll be happy to show you. I'll be happy to sit down and run references with you. But here's the terms. You need to spend some time asking God for truth. I'm, I'm talking about begging God for the truth. God, whatever the truth is, that's what I want. And if you'll teach me the truth, I'll accept the truth no matter what the truth is. That's the thing. And then from there, let's run references and let's see if God makes it clear to you what the truth is. So if people in my church wind up getting pulled away into false doctrine, I want to make sure it's not because I was derelict in my duty, but because they were wicked in their hearts. I'll never forget years ago, some guy uh, that had been here and man, he was just running around preaching at everybody else. He thought he was the little Holy Spirit of the church that needed to get in everybody's business and tell them everything and, you know, be doing all his Bible studies and correct every little thing he thought that I said that was wrong or wherever he thought I was off. And, you know, he was just all on fire up in everybody else's face, you know, he's like a Roman candle. He just fires up real quick and then burns out real fast. You know, that was that was him. And he's running around trying to get in everybody's heads. And then I, I went on a mission trip to England And I got back and he was gone. And he converted back to Roman Catholicism. And then he said the reason he did was because I left for England. I said, okay. Have a nice life, man. I mean, what do you you want from me? Um, Obviously, that wasn't because I went on a missions trip with the church. Obviously, it was his heart. And uh, that's what I want is my conscience to be clear. And I I hope and pray God gets a hold of your heart as we go through the Bible. Uh, Nothing will grab you more than truth if you're looking for truth. You'll know it when God gives it to you. Uh, Romans chapter 1, let's pick up where we left off last week. Look at verse number 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you, Lord, for our church. Thank you for the wonderful things that you're doing for us, Lord, and how you're, um, Lord, you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And we realize that tonight. And I pray now that you would please bless the word of God as we begin to partake of it. Uh, Bless it, Lord, to us spiritually, just like you'd bless food to our body physically. We ask you to bless the Word of God to our spirit. And may there be a a, a free spirit, Lord, the Spirit of Jesus Christ in this room tonight. I pray you'd give your people the truth and give some folks tonight the help they need to get through their week, uh, the pickup they need, the refocus they need, Lord, to get through their week and walk with Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice in verse number 4, "...and declared to be the Son of God with power." According to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. 
Um, I'm glad I serve a powerful God. I'm glad I got a powerful Savior. And uh, there is no power like the power of Jesus Christ. I, I think about it all the time when you, when you think about and look at these wise men in the world and all the education that they have. And, and nowadays people get so enamored with knowledge. It's like young people, even real, real little, uh, get pretty enamored. There's, there's some kind of a spirit, I believe, going on in the world that gets them pretty enamored with knowledge. I think it has a lot to do with having all that stuff, the information highway at your fingertips, you know, and everybody can sound super smart. And you're, people get really enamored with somebody's ability to know all this stuff and their IQ and education. But to me, it's an absolute joke. It's a joke to consider the power of a man's intellect compared to an almighty God that created heaven and earth by speaking it into existence. Now you think about that for a second. You want to talk about power. You realize that if there was one problem, one fault, one error, anywhere in the, world of God, anywhere in the word of God, the world would immediately melt as though an atomic bomb hit the whole thing. The Bible says it's by him that all things consist. The word of God holds this whole thing together. You talk about power. The power is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice it says, according to the spirit of holiness. Now, you got a holy Savior. You realize not one person in this room is holy? <laughs> I get so sick of watching religious people act like they're holy. You know what you are, according to the Bible? Dead in trespasses and sins without Jesus Christ. That's what you are according to the Bible. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. How about that? The scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus Christ. I mean, they're the holiest of the holy in their day. And he, he, what's he think of them? Absolutely nothing. I mean, think about that for a minute. The best you can do is nothing compared to God. Now, that's not an excuse to go live like the devil like you see going on nowadays in Christianity. It blows my mind to watch people that go to church and talk about God and talk about church. And in the very next breath, they're talking about getting stoned. Like literally, like, like God one minute, church one minute, Jesus one minute, and the next minute we're talking about getting drunk and we're talking about getting high and all the rest of that stuff. It blows my mind. I'll never forget one day a visitor come in here and, and sat down. He sat right about where, where Tom's at right now. And, and, uh, and he, he was like in the middle of the service, he just kind of got a little bit anxious and got up and walked out and went and stood over there in the parking lot for a minute. And I thought he was smoking a cigarette. And he come back in and sat down when he got done burning one not a cigarette, out in the parking lot, came in and sat back down. He sat right in front of uh, Mark and Carrie. We're just visiting here for the first time, and Carrie was sitting right behind, and she's highly allergic to the stuff. And she's had no idea that guy was a first-time visitor, and they were first-time visitors. And she's sitting there. She said she didn't hardly hear a word I said because he stunk up almost the whole sanctuary, how bad he stunk after burning one out. I was like, I was catching like faint, like, well, I'm preaching, but I'm like, I, I didn't want to jump the gun or nothing. Like, what in the world is that? That guy literally went out and got stoned and came back in and sat down in church and sitting there. You know what? That, that to me, I, I cannot fathom the audacity of walking into church high on drugs and sitting down flaunting that in the face of God. Don't you have any fear of God left in you at all? At all? If you didn't serve a gracious and merciful and loving and kind God, if you weren't in the New Testament, could you imagine what would happen if you're tripping on some kind of drug and tried to walk into the Old Testament temple? 
That's a good thing to be in a New Testament, ain't it? The sad thing is a lot of people that are saved, they're saved. They go to church and they don't think that any level of holiness matters whatsoever. Now, I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I just told you not one of us are really all that holy. But you know what Peter said? As he has called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Aren't you supposed to be like the Lord Jesus Christ? Aren't you supposed to be striving to follow him? Now, watch this. According to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Do you guys realize that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you got nothing? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What makes us so much, excuse me for this, I shouldn't say makes us, what makes the gospel and what makes the Lord Jesus Christ so much better than all other religion is you cannot find his bones in a grave anywhere. The rest of them are all dead. And you can find their graves. But you ain't going to find Jesus Christ in that tomb. It's an empty tomb. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, that is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. And your faith is vain also. You ain't saved if Christ didn't rise from the dead. You're on your way to hell. You know there's no hope of getting to God without Jesus Christ. Now you think about it for a minute. There's no hope of getting there. Every dispensation all the way through your Bible ended in failure every single time. And God shows you that the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ when he sits and rules and reigns in Jerusalem on this earth for a thousand years that has not happened yet. It's coming in the future. You know how it ends? The devil's tied up. For a thousand years, he gets released at the end of that thing, which we'll see as we go through Revelation, and he comes up and he deceives masses and masses of people. With him tied up for a thousand years, it ends in failure. Everything has failed all the way along the line, but Jesus never fails. You need Jesus Christ to get to heaven, and without him, if he ain't alive from the dead, you and I got no hope. There is literally no hope. If I did not honestly believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was alive today, that he rose from the dead, that he died on the cross to pay for my sins, that the Bible was real, I, I, I'm telling you right now, if I didn't honestly believe that, there, I, I wouldn't even honestly believe I exist. I wouldn't know what to tell you. There is no hope with Christ be not risen. Verse 14, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is vain also. I would quit my job right now. Right now. Because it's dishonest for me to get up here and open up a Bible and preach to you about Jesus if I don't believe he's alive. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. See that? You guys realize that if you're a police officer and you wear the uniform and you get caught breaking the law that you deserve twice the punishment the average person? You realize that, right? If you're a politician and you've been elected by the, by the people and you're in a position of the trust of the people and you violate something that somebody else violates, whatever, you're, you were, you're worth twice the judgment. You realize that, right? Why? 
Why should a police officer that wears the uniform be in twice as much trouble if he's caught selling drugs or in any of the rest of the stuff that might be going on that's illegal activity? Because of what he represents. A preacher that gets in the pulpit and represents the Lord Jesus Christ and represents the Word of God but doesn't believe the Word of God is worth twice the damnation of anybody else. That is a demonic thing. And I will not pull the punch on that stuff. I don't care what your mama believes or your daddy believes or your kid believes or your aunt uncle believes. I will not pull the punch on the truth of that. This false religion stuff or these preachers that may even be giving you a little bit of the truth nowadays just to make it palatable and to make sure you come back and to make sure that everybody's happy, but they won't come right out and tell you that there is a literal burning hell and if you're not born again, you are going to spend eternity in a literal burning hell according to the Bible. When they won't preach that stuff, if they supposedly believe it, but won't preach it, that is demonic. Like, I care more about your money or church attendance than I care about your eternal soul. And people want, people want, people want preachers like that. I can't wrap my mind around it. Uh, the people don't want the truth. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most <laughs> miserable. <laughs> now how about that? If, in other words, in other words, this is what I've heard lost people say, especially this conservative uh, uh, um, philosopher, it's not philosopher, um, psychologist, it's the word I'm looking for, that I've been kicking recently. And when I kick him, it sure does seem to cause a fuss among a lot of the Bible believers. Now, if you don't know who I'm talking about, good. I'm not going to say his name because you don't need to look him up. He's demonic. But people want to jump to his defense because, oh, well, he's so conservative and he lines up with Trump and he this, that, and the others. Whatever, whatever their nutty reasoning is, it's insanity. You say, why? Because he takes just enough truth to make it palatable to save people and then save people begin going and using his logic in their homes and in their marriages and preachers across the country are using his stuff in their pulpits. It's worldly wisdom. You know why? Because he says, well, the Bible is a great rule book and it has tremendous amount of benefits because of the structure that it brings to society. And he even gets so conservative as to go all the way over here and begin talking about a biblical marriage and the biblical setup of marriage and the authority structure and the biblical marriage. And it's like, wow, problem. He doesn't believe Jesus Christ really did die and rise again the third day and is the son of God and is the only hope of you getting to heaven. So he's a psychologist who's working in the psyche, ruling out the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And then you read his stupid book and listen to his stupid YouTube page, and you get all this stupid wisdom that makes a ton of sense. But the problem is that won't work in your marriage if you're saved. Because if you're born again, there's some expectations God has of your Christian marriage. And what you need to do is you need to get a hold of the fact that you're serving a risen Savior and your spouse has the Spirit of God in them if they're saved. 
And you need to understand that no matter what this idiot says about certain things, like they'll never change if they're this way, that way, and the other way, that's the work the Holy Spirit of God does in changing the people that he saved. And it takes a long time to change, especially as you get older, but you can't give up hope and give up praying. He's ruling out the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a result, you're most all men most miserable. That's why he's so dangerous. Go to Colossians chapter 2, please. Talking about the spirit of power. The spirit of power is a resurrected spirit. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, his body went to the tomb, right? Where does spirit go? The spirit goes back to God that gave it. Where does soul go? That's a wild thought, ain't it? Guess who raised Jesus from the dead? He raised himself, man. These three are one. Now you talk about power. You put a bullet in my head right now, just lay me out here. I, I, by the way, that'd be great. I know exactly where I'm going. You put a bullet in my head right now, lay me out right here. I can't get myself up. Just, that's over. <laughs> but him, no man, you know nobody killed him. He said, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down on myself. Yes, Jesus died when he wanted to. You know what he was doing? He's looking at them. Oh, they're going to come break my bones. Ah, just father into my hands, thy hands, I commend my spirit. The spirit goes back to God. The soul goes to hell. The body went to the grave. And on the third day, that soul came up. And he ascends back to the father. And that body comes out to the grave. And there he goes back to glory. What a powerful thing, man. You really believe that? You really believe a big bang? Yeah, I believe it. And I'll tell you this much, I know it's the truth because it effectually worked in me the moment I asked him to save me, and it's still working, man. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Wherefore, if we be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are we subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So in verse number 20, you're what? You're dead with Christ, right? Look at verse chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be... How come everybody wants to stop in the end of the Colossians chapter 2? We're not subject to ordinances. We're freed from the law. So go cheat on your spouse. Go look at stuff online you shouldn't be looking at. Go out and get drunk. Go just live like hell because you're free from the law, right? <laughs> if you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead we're dead to the law. We're dead to the ordinances. And guess what happened when you got saved? And your life was hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life. What a phrase, man. Sometimes you should slow down when you read your Bible. Shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. He's talking about the resurrected life. The power of God in your life. Now watch. Watch what it is. To be alive with him, to be risen with him, mortify, 
this old King James Bible is so hard to understand. Anybody hear a mortician before? Mortify is talking about killing something. Mortify, therefore, your members which are on the earth. That's the physical body. And what does your physical body want? Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. That's a good one. It's loving anything more than you ought to love it. Can I just give you the most brutal and direct example? Loving your kids more than you love your spouse. It's out of line. It's wrong. Just saying. And I get mad at me if you want. I'm just telling you it's wrong. And you keep doing it and you'll see what it turns out to be. It's inordinate. You need to keep everything in your life in the proper balance. Well, I just fell in love. I just couldn't help it. Set your affections. Just follow your heart. That's the stuff you're hearing in the world today. Don't you dare follow your heart. God told you the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You tell your heart what to love. Well, we just, I just don't love him anymore. Well, get right with God then. You don't understand. He's killed my love. Yeah, and you never killed the Lord's. Well, she just doesn't look at me like she used to. Well, you don't date her like you used to. Set your affection. I had a man after 30 years of marriage stare me straight in the face and said, I don't love her anymore. Period. And I said, well, ain't that a choice? The cat got his tongue. He had nothing to say to a kid saying, ain't that a choice? Yeah, it's a choice. Set your affection. That's the resurrected Christian. That's the power of Jesus Christ. That's holiness. You choose to love Him. And you choose to kill those things that get in His way. All the things that are of the flesh. You've got to say no to that stuff. You have to make a daily conscious choice to love Jesus Christ like you should. And honestly, none of us really do. Let's just face it. I ask Him daily, help me love you like I ought to love you. I want to love you more. I do love you. And then I just have to choose. And sometimes the only way I can prove it to him and to myself is to say no to the flesh about something because he doesn't want me to. That's the only reason. There you go. There's some proof that I, I guess I really must love him to some extent. In order to affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. Watch it. For which things sake. Now pay attention to this verse because we won't have to turn back here in a little bit if you grab this. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. These are lost people, children of disobedience. They have not obeyed the gospel. In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. So back when you lived in that stuff and you weren't dead and arisen in Christ, you walked in that stuff too. So when they believe the gospel, that's obedience. Like, I see what that thing says. I believe the gospel. I'm asking Christ to save me. I'm putting my faith in what he said in that book. That's obedience. That's Now you're a child of obedience because you saw what God said about you in the Bible, what he said about Jesus Christ, and you did what he said. It's just, it's just that simple. But now you also put off all these. Anger. Now he starts getting into sins of the spirit. You just saw a bunch of sins of the flesh, but you know we're all pretty good at cleaning that stuff up, right? 
I mean, you ain't out in the parking lot. You're not running out there. When you, when you guys go out, you're going to use the bathroom because we don't have enough bathrooms and nobody, the line was too long and you waited till it died down, and then you, right? You're not running out there burning a joint in the bathroom and coming back into church. You got that figured out now. At least most of you do. I, I realize we always have a few, but give them time to grow, right? I mean, whatever. Now there's some stuff that people that have figured out some of this fleshy stuff have to start working on. Anger. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed how? In knowledge after the image of him that created him. Do you know that's what we're trying to do here tonight? Be renewed in knowledge. We're bringing the Lord back to the forefront of your mind. And we're giving him a chance as we go through the scriptures to point out to you some stuff you need to work on. That's, that's, what, that's how to get the job done. All right, we could keep going forever here, but let's get back to Romans chapter 1. I know we're starting slow, and I'm pretty sure I should be able to finish up the chapter next week, so just bear with me if you would. I will try to make sure I keep the pace up. Uh, but, but we're on a slow start, and that's all right. So look at verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. So Paul is an apostle, and that's the gift that he's been given by God in the church. And notice, whatever you do for God, it's the grace of God. You don't deserve it. That's why most of the time when people really, 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 really want to be a preacher or something, they're not called to be one. (laughs) And God usually picks the guys that are running from it. Because they're like, that ain't me and I can't do it. No, no, no. And God says, oh yeah, my grace is sufficient. I'll make you what you're not. By whom we receive grace and apostleship, what's the purpose that God gave him that gift? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So I already pointed it out to you over there in Colossians and I had a a few more passages we're not going to turn to tonight to show you that obedience to the faith is simply the gospel. What he's saying is, God put this gift in me to go to the world and preach the gospel that people would get saved and have obedience to the gospel, obedience to the faith. What is the faith? It's the gospel. And he's saying, God put this in me to spread this around the world, among whom, in verse 6, are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. So what he's telling the saints is, among the world, you're also called to Jesus Christ. Watch verse 7, to all that be in Rome. Now, it's interesting because the other books say to the church in Colossae, to the church in Ephesus, to the church. This says to all that be in Rome. You know what's interesting is Romans is one of the best books in the New Testament to spell out and detail the gospel and what it means to be saved. It's pretty wild. Check this out. Faith, the word faith, appears two times in the Old Testament. Now, that's not faithfulness or faithful. It's just the word faith appears two times in the Old Testament. It appears 241 times in the New Testament. A hundred of that 241 are in Paul's epistles, and 38 of those are in Romans. Romans is a great book for you to understand what faith is according to the New Testament, and I'll get to that in just a minute. In verse number 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints... Now, here's another one, because the Catholic Church has their definitions of what saints are. But when you look at the biblical definition of saints, it doesn't match what the Catholic Church says. 
The word saints appears 35 times in the Old Testament. It's not a lot. That's a pretty big portion of the Bible. It appears 61 times in the New Testament. 39 of those times are in Paul's epistles. And 8 of those times is in Romans. You know what you are when you get saved? You're a saint. Now, now, you're instructed. You can go run the references on your own or we'll be here forever. I'll be in this one chapter for five years. You go run the references on your own when you get home. You look up the word saint in the New Testament and specifically go to Paul's books and look at what I mean. Do you know you're called to be a saint? You're told to behave as becometh saints. Go look at all the things God says about being a saint. You are one. To be a saint means to be sanctified, to be set apart. Well, how'd that happen? Jesus Christ did that for you by His blood. When you trusted Him as your Savior, you are set apart unto Him. Now you're supposed to behave like it. You know, Christians can be as born again as the day is long and act just like a devil. Live like the devil in the whole nine yards. I get people call me out all the time on that. And if you don't understand, I, I understand that you don't understand and I can explain it to you. Most of you already know why. You understand the doctrine of it. And you understand the repercussions. If you live like a devil once you're born again, God will whoop you. Even to the point of death. And then you're going to face it at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ when you get before God. But you won't lose your soul. So he's telling you to behave like a saint ought to behave. Alright, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys realize how wonderful all those words are? Grace and peace. Man, it is so good to be in the New Testament. Could you imagine trying to live under the Old Testament law and the judgment of God like he had back there? Man, that would be so hard to do. I am so thankful that I live where I live and I am so thankful for the grace of God and the peace of God and the love of God. I don't want to take advantage of it. Alright, so he's in verse number 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Now watch this. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Because you have it posted on YouTube, Sermon Audio, the Internet, Instagram, Twitter, or X, whatever it is now. X marks the spot. Isn't that creepy? Uh, man, if you knew Bible, boy. Anyways. How in the world does their faith spread throughout the whole world and they didn't have any of the social networking garbage that you and I live on? Well, some people live, I don't, that we live on nowadays. Do you realize God doesn't need it? Why well, I just use it to be a witness. I get some of you are forced to have it for work. Outside of that, it's nothing but gossip central. And it eats up your time and eats up your brain power and programs your brain to go back and look, 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 look. And have you noticed the effect it has when you sit down and open up a book and try to read it? What it's done to your brains? What it's doing to your kids? You can think I'm crazy as much as you want. If you think I'm crazy, I think you're crazy. Their, 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 their testimony spread throughout the whole world because they had faith in God. Do you realize that a church can have a testimony just like individuals? Now, 
here's what I want to say, and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make this point, and we're gonna stop right here because the next one I want to show you this thing on faith, and we'll run those references next week on faith in the Old Testament versus faith in the New Testament, because because we're dispensational here, and this is what somebody asked me a great question with the right spirit in the lobby last Sunday morning. And he said, uh, you know, he asked about some of the stuff that I had said in the morning message about the tribulation and that and whatnot. And he said, so are you guys like dispensational? And I said, this is what we are. I said, we are moderate dispensationalists. We're not hyper dispensationalists. They go so far that they start chopping up Paul's books because they don't know what to do with tongues in the first Corinthians. They don't understand how to handle that stuff. So they go so far that they say you don't even need the Old Testament and they don't baptize and they don't have the Lord's Supper. We're what you would call a moderate dispensationalist. That means they don't, we don't believe in the Old Testament. They got saved looking forward to the cross. And I'll run the references with you next week. It was a mystery hidden that God revealed to Paul. And I will show you the references. You've got to turn and look at them and see those references that prove that in the Old Testament, they weren't bringing lambs in saying, Jesus is coming one day to die for our sins. It was a mystery. It was hidden to them. They didn't know what they were doing. And so they weren't going to heaven when they died either. That was the big you know, correction they want to make. Well, oh, well, you can't get to heaven without the blood of Jesus. Who said they went to heaven? We said they go to Abraham's bosom in the center of the earth and they waited there for the Son of God to die on the cross. So salvation throughout the Bible is not always the same. You can't make it the same or your Bible won't make any sense at all and you'll be forced to start correcting your Bible. So I want you to understand that and we'll drill down on that next week and run some of those references for you and get back to it. But here's what I want to point out to you in verse number 8. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, your testimony is very important individually and our testimony as a church is very important you do realize that right as time goes on and as and I, my preachers told me this years ago and they were so right and I'm starting to see what they said begin to happen and he, they said if you'll stay faithful in one spot through the highs and through the lows if you'll stick it out and don't quit just do right and keep preaching with time your community will see that you're there. Your stability will speak for itself. And people will start coming. You'll get a testimony in the community. It's very hard for people to just come jump on board with some new startup church. But when something's going on there and you've been there a long time and they've been watching you for a while, God will start blessing that thing and it'll grow. So a testimony is a very important thing. But let me say this. Your reputation... Don't mean a thing. And there's a big difference. We're Reagans. So cotton picking what, man? Honestly, so what? I, I, I can't stand that family pride stuff. Who do you really think you are? You're so much better than everybody else. Let me give you a real sign that you got a major issue or the person talking to you has a major issue and you need to keep them at arm's length. All they ever want to do is make fun of everybody else. All they care about is the latest dirt. They get real interested in you and in your life or in what you have to say if you have tragic and unfortunate and heartbreaking news. Those kind of people are toxic. They're bitter. They're frustrated. 
they get in the car after church and instead of talking about the Lord or just talking to their spouse about the day or whatever, normal human stuff, they're talking about people and they're making fun of people and they're looking around critically and they guys that's got that critical eye. You think you're something when you ain't nothing. You're nothing. I can't stand it when people mess with my church family. I don't care if you think they're cool or not cool, if you think they're obnoxious or not. If they love Jesus Christ and they love this church and they love their preacher and they love the Bible and they're trying to be faithful, leave them alone. I don't care if they fit your mold. And I don't think you're as cool as you think you are. This ain't junior high. Forgive me, junior hires. You guys are more mature than that. Philippians chapter 2. Show you something about your Savior. You think I'm going to care about your reputation if I don't care about my own? I really don't. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, mean, I mean the truth. I really don't. There's plenty of people that don't like me. So what? They're probably right about half the stuff they don't like about me anyways. I've known you since you were a kid. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm 45 now. Someone say, I've changed your diaper in junior church. I'm, I'm th- in, in nursery, I'm thinking, I hope it was a nasty one. <laughs> Get it all over your hands. If I'd have known, I'd have really worked it up for you. I'm sorry. That's so unpastoral of me. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 7. Look at your Savior. But made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. I was quoting it because I'm going back to my next one. Sorry. You see it, right? You see what God thinks of somebody that says, I don't care about my reputation. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't mean I don't care about my testimony. You ever see those kind of guys? I don't care what nobody thinks. And then they just live like hell and they don't care what it does to their wife and their kids and people around them and their, reputa- their testimony, excuse me. I care about my testimony. Uh, my preacher told me years ago and, and I just stuck in my head and he said, you can't always preach to your reputation. That was way before I ever even had a reputation. I was a student in his school. And he said, you can't always preach to your reputation. And I didn't really know what it meant, but I never forgot it. Come on, preacher, let it rip. Well, not this morning. God doesn't want me to let it rip this morning. I'm just going to talk to you for a little while. Because that's what God wants me to do right now. Your reputation doesn't matter. Your testimony does. Let's look at some verses real quick on testimony. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 7. Folks, if you can get this in your head, it'll help you so much. Don't worry about what people say about you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Talking about a preacher in the church. Them, them that are without... It's important that you think well of me. You're my church family. But the Bible says, moreover, all those people in the community, he's got to have a good report of them. 
In other words, if, oh, Mike Reagan's my, oh, I know Mike Reagan. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. He's a, not, I saw him at the bar the other day. So in other words, I don't meet women for counseling. It's not going to happen. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you are a multi-millionaire and you're looking for a place to tithe weekly. Put it in your pipe and smoke it. My marriage is more important than your money. I don't meet with women alone. Why? My testimony. I don't text women. I don't call women unless they're old enough to be my mother. Not doing it. Why? My testimony. That's important to me. A good report of them which are without. Look at uh, chapter 5 and verse 10. Talking about taking care of the widows in the church. It says they need to be well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she had washed the saints' feet, if she hath relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. You know what he says you're supposed to do? Take care of a widow if she's well reported of for good works. What's that? That's a good testimony. Oh, yeah, she's been a good woman all these years. Let's take care of her. That's not some old bat that abused her family and ran everybody off and, you know, was a black widow. Surprisingly, all her husbands kept dying and all, now she doesn't have any money left and, and she comes to the church and wants the church to pay their bills. Uh-uh. I get those calls all the time. Nope. Nope. We take care of our own, though. Why? When they got a good testimony. Your testimony is important. Your testimony individually, but your testimony as a church is important. You know why every good preacher, every good preacher that there is, makes sure he gets on people about gossiping. My church has never been hurt or split by smokers. And you shouldn't smoke, it'll kill you. I showed you the verse in Job about how it's, a, how it's so much like the devil. He breathes coal and all that stuff. Smoke comes out of his nostrils and all that stuff. That's a wild thing, ain't it? shouldn't smoke. It's bad for you. But I've always had some in my church that were struggling with it. And I hope we keep reaching people and people keep coming and we keep having that group of people that's trying to get the victory on that thing. That's okay. Don't flaunt it in our face. Don't stand out front smoking because of our testimony. But I'm not beating you up in your personal life. Smokers have never ruined my church or split my church. But I have had some long-tongued individuals I mean, there's tongues so long, if they rolled it out, they need a wheelbarrow to take it in front of them, you know what I mean? Cause a whole lot of problems in church. You got to hear me. I hope you're listening. I'm telling you right now, you know what happens in life? Now hear me, please. What happens in life is, in your marriages, you go through ups and downs. And your best friends ought to be in this room. Church members, people that love the Lord, right? And so what will happen to you is you're going through a tough spot in your marriage and sometimes they can last a while. And then you start, I've told you a hundred times, then you start running your mouth about your spouse to your friend. And your friend tells their spouse and their other friend. And you're running your spouse down and it never stays where you think it's going to stay. And then God does a work Because we're not conservative psychologists. We're Christians who pray. If you prayed half as much as you talk about your spouse, your problems would probably be over. 
We're Christians who pray and we let God work on them. And then they change and you're back in love, but all these people think your spouse is a complete animal. And you gave them your little bit of truth. I'm telling everybody this because I want everybody to know that when it comes to you, you need to keep your head on straight. You give them this little bit of truth, but you make it this big. You folks know that I know people sitting in prison right now because the family decided to conspire against them. And they all got on the same page and they all testified and put a preacher in prison. Now, you listen to me clearly. You come to me saying, I'm getting abused. I'll be the first one to put him in prison. Well, God told you to forgive and forget and until death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. He's abusing your children. He's going to prison. I ain't no Catholic priest and you're not coming and bringing that in, dumping it on my desk and then sitting me complicit in your wickedness just because you're too stupid to take care of it or too scared. Amen. And you're complicit in it when you let him get away with it and you know what's going on, you wicked little devil. You stinking smoke that stuff out and stand up for what's right. You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. Then call the cops. Now you think about that for a minute. You better be careful about running your mouth about your spouse. Because you're ruining people's testimonies. And then you spread that stuff in the form of a prayer request and you're ruining a testimony. That's, that is character suicide. And I've seen it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to the point it is unbelievably heartbreaking. And everybody believes a lie. I know disgraced preachers out of the pulpit right now that never went to prison, but believe the lies that were spread around about them by the church people. You know what it is? It's the blood of war. And it's in a place that God said he wants peace. A testimony is a very important thing, and God will not take it lightly if you assassinate somebody else's testimony. Now, wow. You're welcome. It's all free. <laughs> Go to the book of Hebrews, please. Look at chapter 11. Stuff gets me mad, boy. It gets me mad. It's not a light thing to talk about people and to ruin somebody's testimony and to not be concerned about your testimony. That's a big deal. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good what? That's a testimony. Look at verse 39 in Hebrews 11. And all these having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Well, it's a pretty big deal to God and somebody's got a good report, don't it? Ain't it? The Roman church had a good report. That's their testimony. And it came from their faith, which is rooted 100% in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's the most important thing in the world that when you come to church, all that matters is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And you sit down and you say, Preacher, open up that book and you show us what God said. And if you show us what God said, we'll conform to it. And you know what that'll do? That'll give you a great testimony in your life. Mom and Dad, if you're legit, your children will know it. I'm telling you, kids are so smart they sniff it out like you wouldn't believe. 
if you're getting in here and you're not listening and you're not changing and you're not open to the truth and you get in the car and all you do is badmouth people all the way home and all you do is pick on people all the way home and all you do is talk about people, 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 they figure there ain't nothing to that. To everything that went on on Sunday morning. You see the same ones always go to the altar. And how come they're at the altar for so long holding the whole service up and we're ready to go and they're just down there. I think they're just doing it to get attention. Well, at least they were down here. Who said that? Nobody that I heard. Ain't it amazing? It's almost like I can read minds. (laughs) Well, your kids are sitting in the back seat and they're listening and they're picking up on a lot more than you think. But if you really love God and you really want the truth, those kids are watching and they go, this is real. Dad ain't the same guy he was a year ago. Mom ain't the same girl she was. Mom and Dad have been through some times, but they're still in love and they're still together and they're still moving forward. They see it. It's your testimony. All right, let's dismiss in a word of prayer. Father.